and it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. I do want to encourage you. I don't see any young children in here, but this will be a PG-13 sermon this morning. Can y'all handle that? You think you can handle it? Okay. All right. Sweet. Um, so uh, last week we talked about abortion, and, and Mom did just a fabulous job with that. I highly encourage you to get the CD. It'll be at the back table um, behind you. Uh, we just ask a dollar to cover costs for those. Um, and it was just really, really good, really balanced, full of the grace of the Lord, but also not wavering in the truth of the word. It was, it was really good. We're going to continue this series all the way through August. So all through August, it's going to be a little awkward at times here at VFC. But I think you can handle it, right? Yeah, yeah, you can handle it. You're, you're smart people. You can do it. So this morning, we're going to be talking about homosexuality. Now, I, I don't want to do this. One of the reasons I don't want to do this is because this is a hot political topic right now. And I don't ever want to do anything in response to what the world says because the world doesn't set the church's agenda. We don't, we don't respond to what they're doing. We respond to what the Lord's doing, right? And, and so, but I feel like the time is ripe. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of stuff going around. As a matter of fact, um, when, when uh, the Supreme Court passed their, their latest ruling that made same-sex marriage legal here in the United States, just if you were on social media, you know, it was just like everyone just like went nuts. Like they lost their minds. Um, and Christians and, and atheists and everyone in between, they just totally lost their minds. It's crazy. It's like when it rains or when it snows in South Georgia, I got to buy milk, you know. Everyone's just crazy. And, and I saw, you know, what, you know what hurt my heart even more than the ruling? What hurt my heart was the biblical illiteracy that I saw among the church. It drove me crazy that were, there were people there were people that would use scripture against Christians, twisting it, making it say something it doesn't say, and the Christians had absolutely no answer for it except, well, well, no, that was it. And I was so bothered by this, and so this morning I want you to take furious notes, but if you don't get it all at the end of the service, there's on the black table in the foyer. Um, there's going to be uh, a condensed version of my notes on this subject that you can take with you and study, okay? Because this is important. It's important that we present the gospel and the kingdom of God correctly in a, in a very hot topic like this, okay? So, first of all, let's just jump right into it. Is homosexuality a sin? Well, first of all, we have to define what a sin is. Sin is defined as an action done, whether on purpose or unintentional, that causes harm and is outside of the behavior boundaries God has set for humanity. See, God has set boundaries for us. He's given us the ability to do more things than he said we can do. Just like your car can go a lot faster than the speed limit. But you have been asked to steward your right foot on that pedal, right? Just because you can go 100... Does it mean it's lawful to go 100? There are things you can do with your body. There are things you can do with your mouth that even though you possess the capability does not mean it's okay to do. And so the answer to this question is yes. According to scripture, homosexuality is a sin. It is outside of the boundaries that God has set for the sex lives of humanity. God has said for the record He said that sex belongs between one man and one woman and within the safety net of a covenant marriage. That's what he said. He said, hey, guess what? Marriage is hard. You get sex. Congratulations. 
But for everyone else, even though you possess the capability, it's not what he's asked for you, it's not what he's asked you to do. It's reserved only for marriage covenant. Those are the boundaries. Those are the guidelines. It doesn't matter if it's heterosexual or homosexual. It doesn't matter if you have really good reason. It doesn't matter if you love the person a whole lot. God has said that these are the boundaries. And so homosexuality, and while we're harping on this one specifically this morning, all sexual sin is anything that's outside of those specific boundaries. But we need to know what the word says. And, you know, a lot of people's reaction to this whenever homosexuality is brought up is, well, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Well, you're cute and everything, but why don't you learn the actual scripture and not turn your theology into a soundbite? And why don't you know what you're talking about? I mean, that makes me angry that we as Christians aren't willing to actually study the word and know what's being said instead of just say something flippantly. So we're going to really quickly, we're going to look at some verses that defend this concept that, yes, homosexuality is a sin. And then we're going to answer some more questions. First of all, you guys have heard Leviticus 18.22 very clearly states, and up on the screen behind you is chapter 20, verse 13. It says, if a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman, both men are committed, have committed a detestable act. The New King James and King James says it's an abomination. It's an abomination, okay? They must both be put to death, for they are guilty of capital offense. Okay, a couple of questions. First of all, if homosexuality is wrong because Leviticus says so, then shouldn't we also obey the other laws in Leviticus about not eating shellfish? Don't you know that Leviticus says that you can't eat shellfish? It also says that you can't mix fabrics. So if you have a cotton and polyester shirt on this morning, you are in sin, my friend. It says, that, it says that seeds can't be mixed, and it says that you can't harvest the corners of your fields. It says all sorts of stuff in there. What about tattoos? Tat- that's in Leviticus. I've got a wedding ring tattoo. Am I a sinner? Am I going to hell? Well, I, under- I want you to understand that you actually can pick and choose which parts of Levit- the Levitical law to follow. You can. Now, let me explain that to you. See, it's made up of three different parts. All the Levitical law is made up of three different parts. The first one is civil law. Civil law. These are the instructions for how to deal with property, for crime, for justice, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's how to act. Okay, It's how to act in, governmentally speaking. It's the civil law. This expired. It expired when the Jewish theocracy... She, the, you know the Jewish nation didn't have a government until Saul. Saul was the first king. They, they had prophets, they had judges, and they had, but they, didn't, they had a theocracy. God would speak specifically to people. They didn't have an actual government as we know it until later on. Okay, And so when that happened, the civil law expired. It was replaced with their monarchy. The second type of Levitical law is ceremonial law. These are instructions on sacrificial offerings for sin, priestly duties, health, and dietary laws. So all the stuff about not eating shellfish, not eating pork, you guys eat bacon, right? Amen, hallelujah, right? God has declared bacon clean now. But it, but it wasn't, if you, if you just read Leviticus, you can't eat bacon. Well, what's the difference? Well, it was part of the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law existed to make God's people clean, to keep them healthy. There are all sorts of health and dietary laws here that we don't follow now. Why? Because yet again, it's been replaced. It was expired when Jesus became our high priest. 
The whole system of high priests in the Levitical law was to keep God's people clean. But now scripture says that Jesus is our high priest. And the book of Hebrews is full of explanations about how that happens. And you can study that on your own. Okay, so, so ceremonial law is something that we don't follow. We don't follow civil law. We don't follow ceremonial law. And then lastly is the moral law that's found in Leviticus. These are instructions on righteous living. There is no expiration to these laws. These laws reflect not a point-in-time governmental system or a point-in-time atonement system. These laws reflect God's heart, and they stand. That's why the Lord our God is the same uh, today, yesterday, and forever, right? We quote that all the time. Well, yeah, if you're dealing with his moral law, but if you're dealing with a civil law or if you're dealing with a ceremonial law, that has changed. There is a big difference between the Old and New Testament, okay? So... What the Bible says about homosexuality and all sexual sin is under the moral law. It still stands. Even though the stuff about the shellfish has passed away, even though the stuff about ceremonial cleansing has passed away, none of you killed goats this month for your sins, did you? No. Why? That's passed away. It's been replaced. Jesus was the final sacrifice for us. Amen? So do you understand how this law still stands? Now notice, what was the punishment for homosexuality in Leviticus? Death. Do we kill people that are homosexual? No. Why? That was civil law. The moral law said that homosexuality was wrong, but the civil law is what doled out the punishment. That's no longer applicable anymore. Does that make sense? That's why don't, you don't kill anyone, okay? Just in case you were wondering, you don't kill anyone. So do you understand how this verse in Leviticus still stands? It's because it's a certain type of law. It's one of the three subsets. Next, we have Romans chapter 1, a very often quoted um, verse. It says this, That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful, shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that never should be done. So in this passage, Paul is telling the story of humanity. As a matter of fact, the beginning of Romans up through about the third or fourth chapter is actually a chronological story. You have to be really careful when you're picking pieces out of it, okay? Because he's, he's in the, there's no such thing as Romans 1. There's just Romans, right? You talk to some people and they well, I believe Romans 9. There's no Romans 9. Romans 9 doesn't exist. It's just a way for us to know where we're turning in the same part of Romans. Romans was a letter in total written by the Apostle Paul. And so you have to read it in context. You have to read the whole thing. So in in this moment, Paul is telling the story about the depravity of man. And he points an example. He says homosexuality is an example of what happens when man forgets God's rule. So there are two things we can learn from this. And what I said, homosexuality exists because mankind has forgotten God's authority. It's Again, it's, it's I can do this so... Or let me phrase it this way. I have the ability to do this, so I have the right to do this. But God has authority. He lays down um, boundaries for us that are for our benefit because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. Okay, do you understand? So, so homosexuality and all sexual sin, by the way, I just, I'm going to keep throwing that at you, that just because you don't struggle with this doesn't mean that you're somehow more holy than someone who does struggle with this. Okay, um, it, it, it's because we have forgotten about God's authority. 
The other thing that, that we can take from this is that homosexuality goes against God's natural design. Do you notice how many times in that scripture it says women turned against the natural way and indulged, and men instead of having normal sexual relations. See, the problem with homosexuality and all sexual sin is that it goes against the natural design that God has designed for humanity. Um, there's this, there's this um, idea um, that says that, um, that we can do whatever we want to um, and that homosexuality is found in nature you know, and therefore, you know, it's, it's natural. It's okay. It's found in nature. Well, so is like eating babies, right? Black widow spider mates with her, uh, mates with her, her mate and then eats him. Like you can't do that just because it's in nature, ladies. You understand? Do, do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Just because we see something in nature, it's not a reflection of, of, the, um, uh, of the godlike character that he's placed in humanity. We need to be really, really careful with this. And, and the reason this verse is important is if you go back to number one, it says homosexuality exists because we've forgotten God's authority. Look, all of God's laws are, are to protect us. They're to protect us. It's because he loves us and he has good things for us. One of the ways that God judges us, now right now we're in a dispensation of grace. The judgment of God is coming um, at the end of the age, all right? When we stand before him, when we die, when we stand before him, and we will be judged. But at this point, this, this moment in time right now, you have a moment to repent. You have the opportunity to change your mind, to change your heart, and to do what God says to do instead of what you want to do. So you have that, that we're in a dispensation of grace right now. But the way God judges us now, he's holding final judgment until later, but now the way he judges us is he gives us what we ask for. He gives us what we, it says he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and he allowed them to do things that they shouldn't. Guys, if I can be really honest with you, and this isn't to pile on people who struggle with homosexuality, but you need to know that it's, it, it's, a, very, it's a very damaging lifestyle. Between 30 and 40% of LGBT teens have attempted suicide. 30 and 40. The national average is around 8%. Now, it's because of bullying, it's because people are mistreating them. I understand, but it's, it's also, it's not just that. It's because internally they know that something's wrong and they need help. And the church has been grabbing picket signs instead of praying for them. And so they don't think they can go to the church. They feel rejected by God and by his people. And so they think death is the only way out. Shame on us. Shame on us. See, that lifestyle, it hurts. Anytime God places a boundary for humanity, it's because if you go outside that boundary, it hurts. Um, back to number two, it goes against God's natural design. Um, there's something in theology called the law of first mention. It's the idea that, that when God says something, it stands until it's changed in Scripture. Genesis 2.24 God says, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and his father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's the first mention of marriage. Uh, it's implied sex as well, the two becoming one. Um, and, and that's upheld by Jesus in Matthew 19. It's upheld by Paul in Ephesians 5. It's quoted, Genesis 2.24 is quoted by Jesus and by the Apostle Paul. It's upheld. The law first mentioned stands when it comes to um, what marriage is like and what sexual relations should be like. Cool? Are you with me? We doing good? I know I'm going fast, but you're smart, and you can handle it. 
Let's look at Sodom and Gomorrah real quick. Um, it, the, the whole thing is found in Genesis 19. You guys know the story. Um, it's crazy stuff. Sometimes you read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you're like, what? Did you have to put this in there, Lord? Um, but it's, it's where like um, angels come down to check out the city, and the men of the city are trying to rape them. It's like, what? And so it, God destroys the city, and Ezekiel... Ezekiel explains why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And it's not only homosexuality. It says it was because of pride. It was because they treated the poor wrong. It's it's, it's because of several different reasons that God destroyed. But it said they also committed abominable acts, which is the same word that we see in Leviticus 18, that homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. Furthermore, in Jude... In Jude chapter... uh, Well, there's just one chapter in Jude. Jude verse 7... It actually says um, that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah over sexual immorality and sexual perversion of all kinds. And it serves as a reminder that you can't live however you want and expect no consequences. Guys, I'd love to tell you, yeah, go do do whatever you want. With whomever you want, whenever you want, whatever you want. But that's not reality. The reality is that there are consequences to our actions. And we talked about last week abortion. Y'all, abortion's about sex. It's not about freedom. It's, not about, it's, it's about wanting to have sex with whomever you want, whenever you want, and there being no repercussions. But sex was not designed for that. It was designed in part to have babies. And, and so look, we just can't do what we want to. God has a law and a rule, and it's good. It's in your best interest. And so Solomon and Gomorrah serves as a warning to us. Look. There is a downward spiral that you can follow, and it, and it always leads to judgment. And we need not ever forget that. Amen? Amen. The next thing is Paul's sin lists. <laughs> so when Paul's writing these letters to like, the different churches, he'll, every once in a while, he'll start naming a bunch of sins. You've read this before, right? He'll start naming a bunch of sins. Well, homos- again, we're, we're defending the concept that homosexuality is a sin here. And in two of the, of the sin lists, he specifically addresses homosexuality. Uh, let's look first at 1 Timothy. Here it is. I got it up for you. It says, we know that the law is good when used correctly. Hey, remember that? The moral law is still in effect. He's not talking about the ceremonial law here, is he? He's not talking about the civil law of the Old Testament. No, nope, that's all passed away. But the moral law of God is good. Why? Because it shows us we need a Savior. It shows us that we need Someone to help us, that we're broken. The law was not intended for people who do what's right. It's for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what's holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, who are slave traders. Don't let anyone ever tell you that the Bible is pro-slavery. Has anyone ever heard that? That the Bible somehow in favor of slavery. That's just the biggest lie. I don't have time to get into it, but it makes me really mad. And if someone ever tells you that, email me and I'll let you know what the Bible actually says, okay? All right, my face is getting red thinking about it. Okay. Or slave traders, liars, promise breakers. Oh, man, I was doing good. I hadn't killed my parents. I was, yay, amen. But I was doing really good until they got to liars. I was doing really good until they got to promise breakers. 
See, guys, we never need to look at these lists and say, look, you do this, therefore you're bad. No, no, no. We take the Apostle Paul's approach. I do this, therefore I need a Savior. We need to get our eyes off of other people's sin and get it on our own. Amen? Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Dude wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. His, his, whole, his, whole, his whole perspective was, was, what can God do in me? And that's how we need to approach this. Anyway, I'm sorry I'm preaching. Um, verse 11, that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. So we know in, in, uh, listed in the, the sin list to Timothy is homosexuality. The next one, the dude from um, Duck Dynasty made this one popular. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin. No, for the record, again, any sexual sin. That's pornography, guys. Okay? We we aren't just pointing out one group of people that deal. We all deal with something, and you need to deal with it. Amen? Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, are male prostitutes and practice homosexuality. Thieves, greedy people, drunk or never been drunk, or abusive, cheat people ever cheated. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me stop there for a second. Um, it covers here, okay, Paul wrote these lists to specific like areas. Okay, so when he was naming sins, it's not an exhaustive list of every single, I mean, there's lots of stuff I know is wrong that's not listed here, right? I mean, cheating on taxes is not listed here. So you can do it, right? No, it's lying, Okay. And, and so, so Paul, Paul's listing sins that apply specifically to whom he is writing. The Corinthian church had a, um, had a very, very popular religion, and you'll find out why in just a minute. Because in order to be in good standing with the, with the religion, you had to have sex with the temple prostitutes. Can you imagine? Honey, I'm going down to the temple. Third time today. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm going to church, baby. We wouldn't have any problems getting anyone in church if that was the case, right? But that was as crazy as that seems. That's what you, it was actually an honor to be able to have sex with the temple prostitutes. It's what put you in good standing in that religion. Pretty sure that religion was man-made. Um, <laughs> so there was an idea, well, those guys that are temple prostitutes, well, they're the sinners. They're the ones letting guys do this to them. So he mentions are male prostitutes, but then he also says, or practice homosexuality. And the word there is actually the person that goes to the temple prostitute. So he covers both ends and says, look, no, don't point your finger at the other person. I'm naming you. Okay? Verse 11, this is so important. It says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right by God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Look, all sin, I need you to hear me on this. All sin, your sin, all sin, including homosexuality, is not inescapable. It's not something you're gonna, you have to deal with the rest of your life. It's not something that God can't free you from. Okay? So do you feel like you have a pretty good grasp on what scripture says regarding homosexuality. There's just no question. I know there are people within Christianity that are trying to make it to where the Bible doesn't say that homosexuality is a sin. Guys, it's just wrong. It's just, you have to do so much, you know, hemming and hawing, and well, this is what this really means, and this is what, well, it's just, the text is what the text means. Homosexuality is a sin. 
just, it's, it's not really open for debate. And it's really sad when you hear people argue against it because it's like, look, all sin is sin. Let's quit trying to justify our behavior and let's turn to the Lord and say, God, what do you have me to do? Amen? Next question. Does God create people gay? I told you I wasn't going to leave. I mean, we're just going to go in and get into it. <laughs> According to the most recent Gallup numbers, 3.8% of adults self-identify as LGBT. That means lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. 3.8. Probably a little bit lower than most of you thought. I know that because Gallup also asked people what percentage of the population is LGBT. And, and time and time again, it was over 20%. So the perception is that one out of five people are LGBT. Reality is that less than one out of 20. Okay? Now, what is that? It doesn't mean anything. It actually means if someone's a minority, we have to look out for them even more. It doesn't mean, see, there's not that many. No, 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 no. That's not the attitude we take as, as Christ bearers, as, as people who bear the grace and the love of Jesus. It means that they are to be loved and protected even more. I don't know why some people are gay. I mean, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you. You know, I mean, I have opinions, and I'm actually going to jut out here into opinion world in just a second. So this is not scripture, um, and so I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying like this is the scripture, but I mean, I wouldn't tell you if I didn't think I was right. But I mean, I'm just telling you, there's a difference between my opinion and scripture. Okay, um, I think it's, it's a blend of natural born tendencies. We we often call girls tomboys who like guy type things or, or um, you know, effeminate, more effeminate males. Um, and I think it's mixed with experience, with our environment. Um, there's something really interesting. I personally think a lot of, of people who say that they're homosexual or gay actually think they're what the Bible calls eunuchs. And I want to explain that to you really quickly. A eunuch is the Greek word eunuchos, and it was one who was castrated in ancient times. Um, they were typically employed to serve in the king's harem. So the king had a bunch of ladies for himself, and he wanted a dude to be in charge, but he didn't want the dude messing with the ladies. So, you know, not a good job. I mean, that's kind of like last resort. Like, you don't have, like, dishwasher available in the kingdom or something? Uh, you know, I'm thinking this is going to be something else. But <laughs> so, so that's what a unit was. But over time, the word began to be a euphemism for people, uh, just to speak of unmarried men, like permanent bachelors, like, or single, just single people. Okay, And so we actually see um, that it doesn't matter if God created people gay or not. I, I, I refuse to get involved in this argument. Are people born this way or is it learned? It doesn't matter. It, it simply does not matter. Just because, you, just because if, even if you don't have the choice to feel a certain way, you still have the choice to act a certain way. We were all born that way with sin. I was born getting angry when someone cuts me off in traffic. I want to punch them, but I don't do it. I was born opposite sex attracted. And y'all need to hear me. Don't turn this into a sound mic, okay? This could, you, could, you could nail me with this one. But I think we all know that all of us at times are attracted to people of the opposite sex, whether you're married or not. I was born that way. I think women are very attractive. I never chose to be heterosexual. But I do choose not to sleep with anyone besides my wife. Do you see the difference? So just because you feel a certain way or you feel like you're bent a certain way doesn't give you permission to do it. And that's anger, that's lying, that's yelling, that's anything. 
Well, I just got mad. Well, shame on you for giving yourself permission to act however you want. Right? Look, you're not an animal. You can control what you do. Just because you have certain tendencies towards sin doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you have to do it. So it doesn't matter why people are gay or feel same-sex attracted. So anyway, back to eunuchs. So um, Matthew 19 says something interesting. This is Jesus talking. He says, not everyone can accept this statement. That's a warning, red flag. Jesus is throwing something out there saying, hey, y'all aren't going to get this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs. Here's that word. Permanent, single people. Some have been made eunuchs by others. Some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. I believe, I believe, well, let's just break this out. So Jesus mentions there are three reasons someone wouldn't get married. One, they were born naturally incapacitated for marriage, whether that's physical, emotional, or otherwise. They were made incapacitated for marriage because of what someone else did to them. Guys, I, the, 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 the rate of, of people who are in the homosexual lifestyle that, that has dealt with abuse, sexual abuse, is sky high. And again, it's, it's a reason to love them all the more. Um, and and I, I think a lot of people have been made eunuchs by others. I think, I think maybe a young boy is, is effeminate, doesn't like hunting or fishing or, or that kind of stuff, and people say, oh, yeah, well, you're gay. Well, what? What does that have to do with how you have sex? What? what? But we do that. We do, especially here in the South, we're the worst. There's a girl that doesn't like playing with, with, with dolls or wearing pink or anything. Oh, yeah, well, you know, she... <laughs> you know, stop it. Just stop. Could we possibly be making people eunuchs by our words over them? We need to be careful, you guys. We need to love people. So born naturally incapacitated for marriage, um, made incapacitated by something that happened, and then thirdly is voluntary eunuchs that voluntarily abstained from marriage like the Apostle Paul and Jesus. Paul was probably married, but we don't know what happened to his wife. So, so there we go. Um, that's my personal thought. Again, it's not scripture. I mean, there is a scripture there, but I, you know, it doesn't come out and say that. That's what I think. So did God create people gay? It doesn't matter. It's still, some, it's still outside of the boundaries that he has set for us. Just, just so you know, there's a book called Is God Anti-Gay? It's by a guy named Sam Alberry um, that I encourage that you, that you get and you read. Um, I can give you information if you want to email me later. It's a really good one. Next, can you be gay and a Christian? Can you be gay and a Christian? I gotta, I'll answer that question with a question. Can you be a Christian and a liar? Can you be a Christian and a thief? Can you be a Christian and an adulterer? It's a hard question, isn't it? Because hopefully what just happened is you turn inward and thought, uh-oh. Right? See, when we're focused on other people's sins, it's so easy, isn't it? Look at 1 John 3.9. It says this, Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice, highlight, circle, star, ding, 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 do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them so they can't keep on sinning. Because they are children of God. The Amplified here says, those who have been born into God's family do not deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practice sin. 
Okay, here's the difference. Can you be Christian and gay? Can you be Christian and adulterer? Anything. The key is how do you feel about your sin? How do you feel about your sin? Do you hate it or do you practice it? You can definitely be a Christian and struggle with sin. 1 John 1.8, just a few chapters before, it says, If anyone says that you have no sin, then you're deceived. So scripture never says that no one sins. Thank God. <laughs> or I couldn't do anything. I mean, I'd be struck by lightning as soon as I came in here or whatever, right? Thank God that you can be a Christian and still struggle with sin. The key is how do you feel about it? And see, here's the difference. There's a difference between same-sex attraction and being gay. One, one is a struggle to overcome same-sex attraction, just like opposite-sex attraction. The other defines who you are. You cannot be defined by sin and righteousness at the same time. You cannot serve two masters. And, and so even if you don't deal with same-sex attraction, you can't define yourself by your sexuality. Well, I've got a strong sex drive. I just like the ladies and God's going to have to deal. No, dude, you are not a believer. I didn't write it. Jesus did. That's like saying, saying that, saying that, that you're a believer and yet will, willfully, knowingly, and habitually practicing any sin is like saying you're a vegetarian that eats meat. It doesn't make sense. Like, it's just like, what? Yeah, I'm a Christian and I live with my girlfriend. Wait. No. That doesn't make sense. I only eat fish. I'll take the filet. What? It doesn't make sense, right? And so in the same way, you can't be a Christian and gay. You can't be a Christian and an adulterer. You can't be a Christian and, and do any of these things where you, again, knowingly, deliberately, habitually practice your sin. Again, many of you, I know some of you struggle with same-sex attraction. I know it. I know it just based on the figures alone. I know you do. And it doesn't make you wrong or bad or unloved or anything. It just, it just means that you have a different cross to bear. It means that you need to get on your knees and pray and say, God, am, am I a eunuch? Am, are you calling me to be single or are you, wanting, are you wanting me to be healed? Or is this because something happened in my past or what? But you can be a Christian and have same-sex attraction. You can. James chapter 1 gives us the anatomy of sin. It says, sin, when it's, it says sin gives birth, it says desire conceives with action. Desire, just because you have, look, I've had all sorts of terrible thoughts. And I think, where's that coming from? No, thank you, Lord. I just take that, I just cast that out in Jesus' name. I'm a believer, right? Just because you have the thoughts, the tendencies, the desires, doesn't mean you, you act on it. Does that make sense? So do you see the difference between someone with same-sex attraction and someone who's gay? It's a difference. So finally, how should the church respond to the LGBT community? Well, I think we, we do two different things. First of all, when it comes to those with the same-sex attraction, we accept them. We encourage them. We include them. We make it easy to talk about, not making gay jokes, oh, well, that's gay or whatever. 
Like, I, you know, I'm guilty of that sometimes, and I apologize. Lord, forgive me for doing that. You know, we, we, we demystify it. We don't make it ta- taboo. We honor, we honor singleness. We honor people that feel like they've been called to be... We don't, we don't raise um, romantic love as the highest expression of love. I mean, God's love is the highest expression of love. Loving someone who you don't like is a higher expression of love. Right? We honor those things, and we make it a safe place for people who are struggling with same-sex attraction. Guys, I want this church, and maybe this offends you, and if so, I haven't done my job today. I want this church to be filled with people who struggle with same-sex attraction. I do. I want it to be filled with people who know I'm broken, but I know the healer, and he's healing me. No matter what you're dealing with. Amen? For homosexuals, again, those who have, who have given themselves to the lifestyle and said, I know what's wrong, but I'm choosing to do it anyway. This is so cheesy. <laughs> I was writing this and I realized, hey, it spells out pow. Be a pow. <laughs> so what is the second grade curriculum here? Well, I left it in just because it's awesome. Be a pow. Number one, pray for them. Pray for them. Do you pray do you pray for homosexuals or do you just talk bad about them? Two, you appeal to them. You appeal to them. Once you, there's a personal relationship involved, because people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Once there's a personal relationship, you say, how can I help you with this? How, how can I hold you accountable? How can I stand with you? Right? Do, do you know that, that the, the judgment is coming? I don't want to see that for you. I love you. Right? It's not just holding a picket sign. P doesn't stand for picket. It stands for pray. An appeal to them. Showing them how to make a big deal out of your own sin. Hey, this is what it looks like for a Christian to make a big deal out of their own sin. And then lastly, love them. What do you mean love them? To love someone means to demonstrate God's heart towards them through service. Actionable stuff. Where you do things for someone else. Pointing, this is what Jesus did for you, John three sixteen. For God so loved that He, oh, if you want to show someone you love them, you give, you give, Amen, Amen. For the record, everyone is welcome to attend and serve at VFC. That includes practicing homosexuals. Everyone's welcome to attend. The line for us is that practicing homosexuals uh, aren't going to be allowed to be in leadership. Or to serve in a ministry capacity. Just like someone who's shacking up with their girlfriend or boyfriend won't be allowed either. Right? It's, it's not a, well, the homosexuals can't serve here. No, 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 no. It's not about that specific sin. It's about maturity in the Lord. Because if I put someone in leadership before they're ready, it will destroy them. And I love you too much to do that to you. Probably. So do, you, do you, do you, so do you see where I'm coming from? So this is how we treat, what we love. I want a homosexual couple to be able to come into this church and feel loved, not feel condemned. Say, so, well, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know about that lifestyle. Well, I don't care. I, you know, what about your lifestyle? You know, everyone, you want, do you want homosexuals to change? Then expose them to the presence of God. Hopefully you carry it and you're here, right? Congratulations, you've been given a mission. Do you, do you see how that works? I, I need to close. I'm running late. But this is what we're going to do. Everyone, if you'll stand.
We're going to pray. A prayerless church is a prideful church. So we're going to pray. I want everyone to close their eyes for just a moment. I want you to think of someone. You know someone in your family, a coworker, a friend. You know someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction. If you don't know someone personally, maybe you've heard of them. Maybe you can pick a celebrity that you know of that's come out as gay or, or whatever. Uh, and I want, you to, I want everyone thinking of someone, and we're going to intercede for them. We're going to pray that God moves on their heart. I want everyone to have a picture in their head of someone that struggles with same-sex attraction. Now, I want you to see their face in your mind's eye, and I want you to let the compassion of the Lord well up in your heart for them. He loves them. He died for them. He thinks they're worthy of of his son's blood. They need friends. They need assurance that God loves them. Father, we pray for these people. Y'all just agree with me in prayer. We pray for these people, God, that we see, Lord, those whom you love, those, those whom you died for. We pray, God, that you would bring salvation to their lives, God. We, if they don't know you, God, we pray that they would trust in you by faith for their salvation, not by their works. We pray, God, that, that if they're struggling on acting on same-sex attraction, Father, Lord, that you would be there with them. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them, would woo them, and would encourage them that there's a better way. That they've been told a lie by the world, that they're not this way, that God has great things planned for them. We thank you, Father. We pray. We pray for them in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. God, we pray that this VFC would be a place where people who struggle with same-sex attraction would be welcome. They would feel loved. We're not going to relax the standard of what your word says, God, but we are going to love people no matter what. Help us be that place. Amen. Amen.